You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Spurgeon said, C.H. Spurgeon said that Psalm 84 was the pearl among the pearl among psalms. The pearl among psalms. Uh, he did a commentary about this thick on the psalms. <laughs> and he thought Psalm 84 was the pearl among psalms. That's really saying something. Um, so we'll soon find out. So Psalm 84 is a, a psalm celebrating uh, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to worship in the temple. It's called the Psalm of the Sons of Korah. And we know that uh, from number 16, that Korah led a rebellion against Moses in the post-Exodus days in the wilderness. And God judged them by making the earth open up and swallow them, and many perished. 250 were burned with fire. Uh, but the sons of Korah apparently lived on. And uh, I thought about this as I was preparing this sermon. I thought they must have, they must have been influenced to write this psalm because they were so jubilant that they escaped all that. And hopefully they learned some lessons from that. So let's read Psalm 84 together. If you have your Bibles, if you are using one of our pew Bibles, the Black Pew Bibles, it's in, on page number 493. And so let's read together. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My, song, my soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow the nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's word. Praise be to God. Let's, let's pray together. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this precious time we have. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here together as Liberty Church and this community uh, that you have brought together this morning. And thank you that we can worship you. Thank you that you want to speak to us through your word. You want to challenge us. You want to convict us. And you want to change us. And so do that in us uh, now, we pray, with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. So you notice that the psalm is already divided into three blessings or three beatitudes. And pastors like that when God has that in his word because 
It's always hard to come up with an outline, sometimes more difficult than others, but it's really neat when God gives you the outline in advance. And so I'm just going to use his outline, and I think he'd be happy with that. So you'll note the three sections, um, you'll note the three Beatitudes in verse 4. Verse 4 is a blessing, it points back to verses 1, 2, and 3. Verse 5 is a blessing, a Beatitude, in verse 12 also, and it points back to 10, 11, and 12. And so just to, to look out for that as we go down through here. So we'll be looking at three main points, the blessing of God's house, the blessing of God's strength, and the blessing of God's faithfulness out of Psalm 84. First of all, the blessing of God's house. And verse 4 says, blessed, here's the first beatitude, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. There were those that actually dwelled in the temple, stayed in the temple continually. But I like to think of it on a broader sense that we dwell in the presence of God and these pilgrims were going there to stay a while and dwell there, so to speak. So there is that application. So we want to see here first that the temple is a lovely place. It's a lovely place. First one says, how lovely or how amiable is your dwelling place, O Lord. He says it's a delightful place. It was unmistakably and purposefully built to be a beautiful place among not so beautiful surroundings. Um, you remember that the tabernacle that predated the temple was beautiful as well with its gold, its bronze overlays, its colorful embroidered curtains, and much more, if you can remember that. And God made sure that the, the places he designed and ordered for meeting with him were a little bit of heaven. I like to think of it like that. Just a little bit of heaven. When, those, when God's people went to the tabernacle and they walked in there and there was the sacrifice and there was the altar of incense and going up, the, which represented prayers going up to God, and uh, the court of com, the common court, and then um, the inner court where the Shekinah glory was. It was a beautiful place. And um, I believe it just was supposed to be a little bit of heaven on earth. And I believe the church this morning, just looking out here, and this place is just about full. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a lovely thing. And God's in the process of making his church lovely, his bride more lovely all the time by his spirit. Just want us to just embrace that thought this morning. It's a delightful place. And Hebrews 9.23 says it was a pattern. The temple and the tabernacle were a pattern of things uh, in the heavens. And most importantly, it, it was a heavenly place, uh, a little bit of heaven on earth, but it was also a holy place because God's presence was there. And more than any physical adornment, that made it a lovely place because of his presence. And the, the temple was also a powerful place because of the presence of God. Notice the psalmist says, his soul longed it fainted for the courts of the Lord. He said, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. And it's powerful because the living God is there. He meets with his people there. And this psalmist has a yearning, and we can feel his intensity. If you really think about it, really look at those words. Um, he has an intensity uh, in his heart, and he cries out for the living God. And I can kind of liken this a little bit to uh, a soldier. Maybe you know someone who did a stint in Iraq or Afghanistan and, and just longing to get home. Maybe that was you, or maybe you 
experienced some similar situation where you long to get home, you long to see your wife, you long to see maybe, maybe you had a little baby or a child during that time, and you long to see that child. There's that, there's that thing in your heart that just calls you home. This, this psalmist seemed to have that yearning for some reason. He couldn't go. Uh, this reminds me of Psalm 42. It's one of my favorites, and I'll read a little bit of it here. It says, and you'll, be, you'll know what I'm reading, As a deer pants for the water brook, so, my, so pants my soul after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? It depicts a longing to see God, while all those around him are saying, where's your God? Where's your God? So there's that struggle. I had this, uh, a tapestry with this verse on it and a deer on the wall behind my desk where I pastored years ago. Barb got it for me, and she knew it was one of my favorite verses. And every day when I'd walk into the office, I'd see that on the back wall, and it would just remind me how I needed his wisdom, how I needed his grace, how I needed his power in my life just to live for him and let alone to, to pastor people and to do ministry. And oftentimes I would have my devotions there at my desk and that was the catalyst oftentimes for my devotion because I needed his presence so much in my life. I needed to drink from his wisdom, the grace, uh, the stream of his power and his grace and his wisdom. So this begs the question, you know, uh, how much do we long for God? How much do we desire his presence in our life? We know he's omnipresent. We're going to talk about his presence in our heart by the Holy Spirit later on. But how much do we long for his power in our life? Uh, and, and, or do we most times just try to go through life in our own strength? It's really something to think about. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a promise. Draw near to God. Are we really drawing near to God, or are we really living most of our Christian life in our own strength and our own power, and just, just having little tidbits of God here and there? Something to think about. Hebrews 10 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. The presence of the living God made the temple a powerful place. And then the temple was a peaceful place, I believe. I believe it was a welcoming place. When we look at verse 3, it says, Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. I think this denotes a welcoming spirit. It, it denotes a peaceful place because these birds were able to dwell there. And uh, one commentator said the sparrow, which is the, one of the smallest of birds, could picture uh, someone who feels insignificant. You know, one of God's children who really just feels insignificant, not worth a whole lot. And how many children of God struggle with that? They struggle with an overwhelming feeling, and sometimes it's, it's debilitating. That may be you this morning, a feeling that you don't matter. Well, I want to tell you something. Uh, God created you, and you are significant. And He created you after His image. And you are a child of God. If you're saved here this morning, if you're a believer here this morning, you're a child of God, and you can't get more significant than that. And so let me encourage you with that. 
So God tells us that we're to give him, that he'll give us a thankful heart, and as we have a thankful heart, we can have peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. So I think the, the temple was a, was a peaceful place, and it was a welcoming place for God's people. If you're not a believer here this morning, and you're restless, and you're wrestling with the things of God, and who Jesus is, and the message of Christ, uh, Jesus says to you, my friend, he says to you, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. You can have peace with God, and you can have the peace of God uh, in your heart. I love this verse in Psalm 65, 4. It says, blessed is the one that you choose, God, and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of of your temple, satisfied. I think the temple was a peaceful place. You know, think about this. The, all the Israelite males were required you know, to go on this pilgrimage three times a year at three feast days. Women could participate, but they weren't obligated. Many did. Of course, that would mean children. Uh, making this trek was a commitment. It was quite a commitment. It took much preparation. Food was necessary. Provisions had to be made for for the offering. According to Deuteronomy 16, every man should give as he was able to the offering. And they had to navigate the roads. The pack animals needed cared for. It was an arduous trek. And they had to be all in. They had to be all in to make it there. They had to be committed. And I like this note from the ESV Study Bible just love this quote. It says, The purpose of singing this psalm was to cultivate delight in actually going to the temple and to open the eyes and hearts of God's people to the staggering privilege of being a welcomed guest in God's house. Don't you love that? A staggering privilege. And let's be reminded this morning that those of us who believed in Christ were born again, were children of God, we don't go to a specific place to worship, although I, know, I understand how the church is to come together for community and fellowship and all the things that happen in the local church. I'm very familiar with that. But God lives in the heart of each one of us as a believer. We are his temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you, believer, know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Let's be reminded of that this morning. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. There's holy again. Whose temple you are. So this is a great reality in my life. And I hope it's a great reality in your life. That God lives in me by his spirit. He goes where I go. <laughs> He's with me at all, at all times. The Israelite pilgrim brought to the temple some of the very best that they had as a sacrifice. But now God has given his very best to us through his son, the Lamb of God, for our atoning sacrifice. And after Jesus offered himself there in the glory, he said, just as he promised, he sent his spirit to live in the heart. He, the church was born, and the Holy Spirit began to dwell in every believer. Last time I checked, we believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God is called this. Uh, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ in other passages in Scripture. 
And 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're not our own. We're not our own. And that's why Romans 12 says, offer your body then as a living sacrifice to God. It's only reasonable that we do that. It's our reasonable worship that we do that. The trouble with, someone said years ago, I heard someone said the the trouble with living sacrifices is they crawl off the altar, right? That's a problem with that. Think about that. That's deep theology. We offer ourselves to God. We say, God, I'm yours. I'm surrendered. You know, I'm on that altar. It's my reasonable worship. But then something comes along. Next thing you know, we're, we're crawling off the altar. We're kind of worshiping something else, putting something else before God, some form of idolatry, really, possibly. Anyway, that's a sermon for another day. But listen, God's in the process of making us a lovely people, To go back to the points, he's in the process of making us a powerful people because his Holy Spirit lives in us, and he's in the process of making us a peaceful people as we go through this life because there's a lot of turmoil around us that can rob us of our peace. And I feel feel, uh, feel, uh, compelled to remind us that one day we're going to enter into the world where Jesus is the temple. He is the temple in glory. We're going to enter into that temple with him, with God and the Lamb, and there'll be total peace. I'm thankful for that. So the blessing of God's house. And then secondly, the blessing of God's strength. Let's take a look at this. Verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, or or whose hearts are set on this pilgrimage. This is a great verse here. The psalmist uh, Though he physically can't go and experience the temple, he finds strength in thinking of those who are pressing on. Um, They have this in their hearts. It's not just something that they're doing to fulfill a requirement. They have this journey to meet God, to go to the temple, because it's in their heart. They're driven from a desire to see him. Matthew Henry said this, No pleasure or delight lies nearer to the hearts than this. Having placed their happiness in God as their end, they rejoice in all the ways that lead to him. Think about that. They're not just striving for the end, but they see God in everything that leads up to him. Let's think about that a little bit further. Look at verse 6a. As they go through the valley of Baca, what's Baca? The Valley of Baca, you'll find in your, in your Bibles or in your commentaries, there's a capital V and a capital B, but it really is no geographical place. Nobody can identify a geographical place called Baca, but most commentaries make reference to the fact that it's a place of struggle. It's a place of hardship. It's a place of challenge. Um, and these folks had a, a rough path you know, to get to, the, to get to the temple. It was a challenging journey. And in verse 6b there, it says, what do they do? They dig pools. They dig pools, and God fills them with the spring rains. He refreshes them. They have to wait on God to refresh themselves, to refresh them. 
And I just think of our own Christian life. You know, often we have to dig blessings out of blastings. We have to dig blessings out of hard places. And believe me, I, I know this congregation a little bit for three years, and every congregation is the same. There are struggles. There are blastings. There are heartaches. You know, there are tears. There are temptations within. There are temptations without. Struggles. Times of baka. And what do we have to do during those times? We have to dig into the Word of God. We've got to dig and pools and let God give us his grace in those moments and not try to go on in our own strength. It's so important to learn this lesson. Um, Barb and I have been through a lot of struggles personally, especially with my health. Um, A number of years ago, 2007, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, treatment after treatment after treatment after treatment after treatment. Uh, 2010, four stents in my heart. Heart attack, four stents, pneumonia, knee replacement. Uh, two more stents, then the shingles shake up. I'm still, I'm still affected by shingles today. I wonder, Lord, what else, you know? But I'll tell you what, it's caused me to be able to dig into the wells of God's grace and uh, trust the promises of God more than ever before. And God knows that. And the Christian life is not a path strewn with roses. And there are valleys of Baca, but there's plenty of grace. God, call, God told Paul, and we know it well, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, he sought the Lord three times to remove some kind of affliction. He thought it would make him better as a minister to share the gospel, preach the gospel, plant churches. God said, no, my grace is sufficient. It's always sufficient. If we'll dig and get it, to be strengthened in him. And so the blessing of God's strength. Look at verse 7. They go from strength to strength. They go from strength to strength, strength, each one appearing before God. Uh, They won't be deterred. They won't be stopped. Uh, You can almost see them, if you think about it, they get stronger and stronger as they get closer to Jerusalem. It's almost like a runner who at the end of the race saves enough for the kick, they call it the kick, so that they can plunge forward to go across that finish line. And, and so these pilgrims are getting closer and closer. They're going from strength to strength. And maybe others came out of villages and joined them. And that encouraged their hearts, and they became a, a larger crowd. And isn't it encouraging to be here this morning And look around if you haven't looked back from the front rows here and see how many people are here. Isn't it encouraging that the place is full? (laughs) That's encouraging. You know, from up here, and that's worth a round of applause, you know. We come to church and it's full. And it strengthens our hearts. Amen. What if there was only 10 people here and we couldn't get anybody to come? (laughs) Be discouraging. Anyway, Psalm... 122 says, which was also a song of ascent, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. They loved this journey. They loved taking this journey so they could get closer to God, so they could offer sacrifice, so they could have his blessing on their life. We, got, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we love this journey? With all of its bacchus, 
and everything that comes our way? Do we love this Christian journey? You know, there's a, it came to my mind in the last service, and I'll just say at this service, people outside the walls of these churches who aren't in other churches, they have no idea what is happening in here. Did you ever think about that? They don't experience the Word of God. They don't experience singing these songs. They don't experience faith-filled prayers. And we have the privilege of that when we come here. It's good to be reminded of that. I know you know that. Tim Keller said, the longing for nearness to God will not be fulfilled in a stroke. Anyone who wants God must go on a journey. It's a journey. And then you'll notice in verse 8, the psalmist launches into a prayer. And all the commentators, they don't, they don't know what to do with this. This prayer right in the middle of this psalm. It says, O God of angel armies, your Bible might be a little different there. Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And then there's a rest. And my mind went to this, that there's always a, a need for much prayer on the journey. And this reference to Jacob. What does our mind go to when we read about, O God of Jacob? Jacob wrestled with God in the wilderness until the break of day. He wrestled with the angel of God. He wouldn't let him go until he blessed him. Remember that? And his, and his hip, the angel touched his hip, and it was out of joint for the rest of his life, and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And Jacob's life was never the same because he had met with God. And so maybe this prayer is a time, they, they take time, they, they pull over in the song, and they, they pray this prayer, and they wrestle with God because they know they're going to meet him. Maybe they're praying for needs among the group that they have there, among the crowd. Verse 9 says, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of your anointed. Perhaps they prayed that God would look at them through the Messiah, that he would look at their journey and look at their struggles through the face of Messiah, the Messiah that would come. And surely, as we pray, we pray through Jesus, don't we? And he prays for us. For the Christian, that can only mean Jesus. So the blessing of God's house, the blessing of God's strength, and a faith-filled prayer in this psalm. And then number three, the blessing of God's faithfulness. Think about this with me. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. We can trust God because he's what? He's faithful. He's faithful to us. And we can trust him when he says something in, in his word. So this looks back to verses 10 and 11. And so because God is faithful, better is one day with him than a thousand elsewhere. We know the song. We've sung the song. We've listened to it on the radio. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. It doesn't say a thousand days. It might be a thousand weeks. It might be a thousand months. <laughs> it just says a thousand, but it's probably days. So this is a challenging declaration, is it not? Have you ever thought about that when you sang that song? I'm sure you have from time to time. One day in your courts being better than a thousand elsewhere, really? Doesn't this fly in the face of our priorities? It flies in the faith of our commitment, how we think about the house of God, how we think about the body of Christ and our involvement, how we think about the word of God. It causes us to examine, it pushes us to examine 
our faith in a faithful God. One day, better than all. So have we moved in our faith walk to the point where we can say that? Or we can make that declaration. Are we moving in that direction? I'd rather be fellowshipping with God than be anywhere else. Keep that thought in mind. And then number two, because God is faithful, better to be willing to serve in the lowest place than to live in luxury and be without God. In other words, I would rather humbly take the lowest place like a doorkeeper than live in luxury without the Lord. This writer was no doubt thinking of Gentiles. I'd rather be in this group, taking this journey to the temple of God than be anywhere else, and especially to serve God in this way and and not be living like the Gentiles, not be taking on their idols, even though they might seem like they uh, have everything. This might be a good time to ask the question, What does the tense of wickedness, quote, the tense of wickedness we see in that verse, what does tense of wickedness look like in our life? How do we describe that? Where does our mind go with that? Where do our feet go with that? Where do our lives go with that? Maybe we could let the Lord examine our hearts in that way and see what he would have us to do with that. And maybe we need a change of heart in that way. So it's always something to think about with the attitude of our heart. But what an encouragement and a challenge it must have been uh, for these weary pilgrims to know that this song was going to be sung. And uh, it's almost like the world, the world behind me, the temple before me. Like we used to sing, the world behind me and the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. There was a real commitment. It's a statement of their faith. And then better, because God is faithful, better, and this is the best part, better blessings. Because God is faithful, there are better blessings beyond what we can imagine. Think with me about this. Verse 11, look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He lights our path. He protects us from evil. What a blessing that is. Through his word and by his spirit in every area of our life, he can direct us and protect us. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith that is able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then it says, The Lord bestows favor and honor, there in verse 11, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do we realize this morning that our walk in the Lord, to walk uprightly, to strive to walk uprightly, operates from a position of being blessed so much by the Lord. Not striving to be blessed, although that is part of it, but also all that we have in Jesus motivates us and empowers us to walk uprightly and to live for him and to be a testimony for him. That's a great thought, isn't it? It's what God has for our life. He bestows favor and honor. And this sounds like Romans 8.32, where Paul said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. What a Savior we have.
And I like to, I just like to open the windows in my devotional times. I like to just pull the curtain back and just open the curtain and look into the riches of God's grace that's often mentioned in the scriptures and all that I have in him. It just makes me want to go out and press on and be what he wants me to be and say what he wants me to say. Be the hands and feet of Jesus, as we say. So the last stanza is the singing of the faithful blessings of God. Now let me just finish by saying this. On this journey of these pilgrims that so parallels our Christian life, there's beauty, the temple, a lovely place, our temple, the body where where the Holy Spirit dwells, becoming more beautiful. Then there's Baca, there's the struggles, but then there's God's strength and pools of grace. Baca, then there's blessings, favor, honor, all good things, more than we can imagine. What a song. I think Spurgeon was right. If he was here, I'd say, you know, you're right about this song. It's the pearl. It's a pearl among all these songs. But I would be remiss, and I'll close with this, if I didn't think about Jesus in relation to this song. Jesus, no doubt, sang this song in the synagogue. And I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder if he was thinking about the temple and how lovely it is how wonderful it is and the purpose that it served down through the centuries and how he went there one day and turned over the tables of the money changers and the pigeons and all the sacrifices flew and he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. I wonder if he was thinking about that that day. I wonder if he was thinking about, about how when he would go back to heaven and the Holy Spirit would come and live in the hearts of those that would put their faith in him. I wonder if he was thinking about them, thinking about the birth of his church. I wonder if he was thinking about later in the glory when he would be the temple where we're heading someday. Then I wonder if he was thinking of Baca and the struggles. You know, Jesus was in a struggle from the day he was born, a struggle with evil and a struggle with the flesh all around him and what sin had caused. Struggle. I wonder if he was thinking about Gethsemane. I wonder if he was thinking about how he would kneel and sweat drink up sweat great drops of blood as he was, even then, uh, no doubt, paying the price for our sin. I wonder, if he was thinking, I wonder if he was thinking about Calvary, the struggle of Calvary when he bore our sin, when he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What was he thinking that day? Was he thinking about the blessings, the reunion with his father, and how he would pour out blessings on his church? the good things, the good things to his people. And lastly, I think he was thinking about you. I think he was thinking about me that day. Somehow, some way, he was thinking about us, those who would come to faith, those that he chose, those that he called, would call, those that he would save into the family of God, into the church of God, into the bride of Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for Psalm 84. You've given us so many thoughts. I thank you for these three blessings that capsulize so many things and bless our lives. 
Thank you that we have these things in Jesus. We love you this morning. We know that we can only say that because you first loved us. We thank you now for this table that we can come to and celebrate what you accomplished in your death and your burial, your resurrection. And uh, may you be honored as we partake of this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.